may be seated. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Matthew, or Mark chapter 13, Mark chapter 13, as you know, Riverside will be here this week, this next week I'll be, our family's going to be gone so I wanted to wrap up Mark 13, just a piece. Actually, we looked at the whole chapter pretty much last week. But I want to return to verse 13, chapter 13, verse 13. Because if something is said and that I think we need to be really uh, sure of as far as how do we respond to a, uh, this world? I mean, it's really a negative picture, right? I mean, the Lord starts out in verse 1 saying that these stones that this building is made of, not one stone will be left upon another, verse 2. By the way, he tells them this for this reason. He tells them that prophecy, the fulfillment of that, for this reason. He's saying, listen, I'm going to tell you what's going to go on in 40, less, than 40, or less than 40 years from now. Around, it was about 37 years later. That temple was going to be brought down and not one stone upon another would be on each other. But this is why he tells the disciples this, because he's saying, listen, I'm going to tell you what's happening three decades from now. And since that's coming true, let me tell you also what's going to happen to the end of the age. Do you see what I'm saying? He's telling them a prophecy. This is what's going to happen. And when they saw that temple come down, it would even confirm more in their life and it should in ours. It, you know what? He told us to the end of the age is going to happen specifically exactly the way that, that uh, he said it. So first of all, he said the destruction of the temple. Then he said there would be great deception, verses 5 and 6. Then there's going to be devastation. The world is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And you're going to have wars and rumors of wars and trouble and earthquakes and famines and plagues and terrors. And if you put Matthew, Mark, and Luke together, you see that composite picture. By the way, are you getting depressed yet? It's not getting better. We're not going to bring in the age of Aquarius. And there's going to be distress. Distress is in this, from the synagogue, which is the Jewish. It's going to be from the Gentiles, the lords, and, and the courts. And it's also going to be family betrayal. I mean, that's the worst of them all, right? A father betray his child. A brother betray his brother to death. I'm a parent. I can't imagine one of my children betraying me to the point where I die. I end up in jail, and then they kill me. By the way, that does go around, uh, on around the world, right? I mean, this is a really bleak picture. Now, in the midst of negative, the negative, he gives us promises. Okay, That's how the Lord always does. He gives us promises. And, and we've seen these promises. The first one was in verse 10, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations, i.e., instead of the persecution destroying the gospel, it actually advances the gospel because when persecution comes, Christians who are many lights scatter and the gospel goes around the world and that's what's happened. There's going to be gospel advancement. I, I, I've said this maybe twice at two other times, but I love this statement. The church father, Tertullian said this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When, when, the, when Christians are martyred, when Christians are persecuted, it's like seed being planted. That's encouraging. Isn't that encouraging? That, that the world 
is not going to snuff out the gospel. It's going to advance. How about promise number two? Supernatural enablement. Verse 11, But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand what, you're going to, what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. God will be there at the moment we need the grace. And by the way, that's all of life. Sometimes we try to, you know, uh, store up grace and we kind of arrange our life in such a way that, oh, I'll live my life because I know I can handle this. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you live your life and I will be there when you need that grace. Some of you are going through a trial right now that you thought you could never endure. Well, you couldn't before because God's grace wasn't there. But now that you're going through it, what does he do? He gives you the grace. So divine enablement is the second promise. And then the third promise is this, heavenly hope, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, but remember, just before he said that in verse 13, (laughs) B, what did he say? He talked about brother betraying brother, father is child, children will rise up against their parents, verse 12, and cause them to be put to death. I mean, death, death, destruction, persecution done by family members. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. I mean, that's a really bleak negative. This is how it's going to be. Realistic. But then he says this, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. That's a promise. There's a heavenly hope. Perseverance of the saints. See, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm I'm thinking like probably the disciples are thinking, you know, are we going to be able to make it? (laughs) Are we going to be able to make it? I mean, can we hang on? And this is the whole message right here. Saving faith can't fail. I don't know if I left that in your outline, but that's the whole message right there. Saving faith can't fail. Now, I'm going to say it this way. True saving faith can't fail. There's going to be a lot of people that their faith fails. But Jesus said, He who endures to the end shall be saved. In fact, in Luke, the other... Um, the other, uh, one of the other uh, um, Gospels has it this way, but not a hair of your head shall be lost, but by your endurance you, you will gain your lives. Not a hair of your head will be lost. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But, but this is right in the context of him saying that you're going to die. A lot of you are going to die. A lot of you are going to be persecuted, even from family members. But not a hair of your head will perish. What do you mean? You just said I'm going to die. What do you mean? Well, we're going to get to that in a moment. He's talking spiritual, not physical. But this is talking about the perseverance of the saints, or if you will, the permanence of our salvation. Or to say it this way, can a true believer lose their salvation? Let's put in the negative. Can a true believer lose their salvation? Now again, that is a very popular concept in the church today. A lot of churches would say, well, absolutely. And they'll go to a few passages, one in Galatians and a couple others, and say, see, you can lose yourself. In fact, they'd even say right here, he who endures to the end will be saved. See, he's saying you've got to endure to the end. If you don't endure to the end, you're going to lose your salvation. I'm actually picking this specifically for that reason. Because what does he set us up for? He's saying, listen, your world is going to get harder and harder, wickeder, more and more wicked, badder and badder. Worser and worser, whatever, you know, you get the point. Um, I mean, don't you want some hope? Don't you want some hope? 
See, this is what he's doing. He's given the disciples hope. Hey, gospel advancement, supernatural enablement, and heavenly hope. Okay? I need hope. See, there's a lot of people that think they can lose their salvation. And and I want to just take that one little concept and as we go to the Lord's table and say, wait a second. Is that a biblical is that a biblical fact? Is it what does the Bible say? That's the first question we're going to ask. Does the Bible have permanence of salvation in it? Number two, if it does have it, which it does, I'm going to answer right there, then what type of faith is it when it says saving faith? And then question three is really, what is the most important thing in your life? What do you consider most precious? And we'll look at all three of those questions quite quickly because of time. And I know it's hot. I see all your... (sighs) I would turn on the fan, but then you couldn't hear me. Um, see, can a true believer who has been genuinely forgiven and granted new birth, that's regeneration, and salvation, I mean, not only regeneration, but salvation is, is the other part of that. Can that person, you know, that has been granted salvation and regeneration by God from sin and death and hell, then behave in such a way as to have that gift of salvation taken away from them by God? I think that's a good question. Right? I mean, can a person who has been truly saved, truly regenerated, do some wicked deed where then they can lose their salvation? Or to say it this way, can I do something that would cause me to forfeit the eternal life that God has already given to me? So that having been on the way to heaven, now I am thrown in reverse and I am on my way to hell. Or to say it this way, having once been forgiven by grace apart from any good works of my own, can I by some bad works of my own have my forgiveness canceled? Now I would say that that's a very important question. (laughs) Uh, By the way, this question has been asked over the years, over the centuries, church history. Uh, Many of the confessions uh, actually address this particular question. In fact, I'll give you just one, the Westminster Confession, which is probably the, the confession of all confessions. It's put out by the Presbyterian Church back in the 1600s. This is what they wrote in answer to that question. Quote, They whom God has accepted in His beloved Son, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally or finally fall away from a state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end, and be eternally saved. End quote. Now, where did they get that from? I would say this, Scripture. Okay, so that's going to be our first question. See, they, the, the, the Westminster Confession said, absolutely, one who is truly saved, always saved. That's what they, that was their summary of that question. But let's make sure it's biblical. And again, we can go to a lot of passages, time will not allow... But let's just look at the permanence of salvation. Is it biblical? Does it align with Scripture? Can I go to the Word of God and find it? And we're just going to go through a number of, and I think I left most of them in your outline. John 3.16. Okay, just let's take the one that most of us even know. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, whoever believes in Him. Now, by the way, that's the word believe, faith. Whoever has faith. And we're going to have to define what that faith is. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. By the way, what kind of life has been given to that person? 
Everlasting life. Eternal, by the way, when does eternal life end? So please, if you're going to say that you can lose your salvation, don't say you were given eternal life. You were given temporary life. Right? But, and, and again, I know I'm speaking to a lot who are believers here, but again, what does the Scripture say? The Scripture says this. I'm just saying big picture. Because you may be here right now and not a believer. You may just say, oh, I know the verse, but I'm not sure what you're referring to. The Bible is very clear as the, the Bible itself is this, that God created Adam and Eve and they were perfect, but Adam and Eve sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned, the stain of sin covered all the children that would ever be born to Adam and Eve and all their generations and generations. It's called original sin. And because of that, all of humanity are sinners. That's why uh, Paul said, all have sinned. All have sinned. We're all sinners. And because we're all sinners, we are all condemned because God is holy and perfect and righteous and just. He is loving, but because He is holy and just, He must punish sin. And therefore, all sin must be punished and we are sinners and therefore we must be punished. We are condemned before our holy God. But thankfully, (laughs) and that's what we're going to celebrate here in just a minute, right? In a few minutes. God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ. He sent Him to live a perfect life for 30 plus years and then went to the cross, not for His sins, but ours. And He paid the penalty. He became our substitute on the cross for our sins. He paid our penalty on the cross. He became our substitute. And then He calls out, not as a a suggestion, but as a command, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's a command. That's not a suggestion. That's not like someone can say, actually, for those who reject Christ, one of the sins they have committed, the ultimate is what? They have rejected the command of receiving His Son. Right? But God says, Believe on My Son and you will be saved. For as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. So God is calling to a world and saying, because you are sinners and condemned and My wrath is upon you, I want you to look upon My Son who, who sacrificed Himself for you and paid the penalty for your sin and I want you to believe on what He has done on your behalf and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And that's what, and I say all that because that's what it means. Whoever believes in him, John 3.16, whoever believes in him, believes that Jesus Christ is the perfect Lamb of God, the Son of God who came to this earth, who died on the cross, not for his sin, but for ours. And we have put our faith and hope and trust completely, and I say that word completely, all in him. Not like this. Uh, I'm going to believe in Jesus, but I still got to do some good works to please God. No, no, you can't do anything. You're, you're, uh, your sin is, is uh, your righteousness is as filthy rags, but you put your faith and trust in Him. And what does it say there? He who believes in Him, what? Has what? Everlasting life. Okay, so I've explained to you the, the gospel. And again, you may be here and you say, I've never received, I've never, I don't know, I just thought church was about religion stuff. I would encourage you to recognize that you are a sinner, that Jesus Christ came as the perfect sacrifice and died in your place and you can receive him as your Lord and Savior. And you can do that right where you're at. Because again, salvation is not about being religious. It's about your relationship to Jesus Christ. Right? You've received him. Well, let's, let's continue on with this question. Is it biblical? 
Well, John 5.24 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, this is Christ speaking, He who hears my words and believes in Him who has sent me has, what? Everlasting life. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. And look at verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have what? Everlasting life. Yeah, you may not be there. I mean. Oh, I love John 10, 27. Because this is one of the questions, you know, like, well, maybe I can jump out of the Father's hand. It says this, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This is one of the characteristics of a true believer. They follow Christ. They know His voice. Verse 28, and I, have give, I have, I, and I give them eternal life. Great. Okay. Question. Can I lose it? Well, he answers it right here. And I give them eternal life and they shall... What's the next word? Never perish. What, you mean, no, no, no. You can have eternal life and then perish. No. <laughs> you are... No, that's not what Jesus said. <laughs> he said, never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Okay, so maybe I can jump out of his hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And earlier, or excuse me, later in that same Gospel of John, he talks about the Helper seals us. And, I mean, he's, he's the one who is, indwells in us. You know what you really find in the Gospel of John? Wrapped in the Son's protection, the Father's protection, the Spirit's protection, we are protected by the Trinity. A person who says you can lose your salvation either has to redefine everlasting as temporal or say God is a failure. That's only, in my mind, two options, right? Because you are protected by the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. That's how important it is. Very, very important. In fact, Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17 says this. Remember when he's praying, Holy Father. Now this is what he prays to the Father. Keep through your name those, those who are still in this world, whom you have given me. <laughs> Jesus prays that we would be kept. If I'm not kept and I was a believer, you know what it means? What does that mean? The Father failed. See, there's a lot riding on this doctrine. This is a very important doctrine. This is not like sub-doctrine. This is very important. Because it really tells us who God is. In fact, I, won't, I don't have time for the whole passage, but in Corinthians 1. Remember the Corinthians? By the way, were the Corinthians a real godly people? No, they were selfish and factious and ungodly and you know, self-centered. And yet Paul said this in, in, in Corinthians 1 verse 7 eagerly waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ who will also confirm you, confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's telling a group of very carnal Christians, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, even because you're not running the race very well right now, but he's going to be the one that presents you blameless. It's not you. You don't present yourself blameless. He does. Because remember, He was the one that died on the cross for us. All of our sin was placed on Him. I, I am presented blameless in the end because of Christ, not because of my run. 
In fact, in that same passage, 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called, now catch this, into the fellowship of His Son. What does fellowship mean? The unity, the connectedness. You were, you were called into the connectedness with His Son. See, see, we're starting to get a picture here. My salvation is all of God. I want you to see this. Now again, I understand the endurance thing. But I want you to go walk away. True faith can't fail because true faith is from God, not from me. Or to say it this way, if it's of God, whatever God begins, He finishes. Confident of this very thing that He will begin a good work in us, what? We'll complete until the day of Christ. He's going to complete it. He's going to complete it. So again, I love the song, what Jesus paid, I can't sing it, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. I could have sang that probably, but I won't. Um, Or as 1 Thessalonians 5 says, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. If I didn't put that in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I've given you some passages in John, one in Corinthians, one in 1 Thessalonians, all saying the same thing. It's God. It's God. It's God. It's God that's doing this. But no, don't you... But, but you just said you have to endure. I mean, your faith has to endure. Well, let's switch gears. I, I'm going to put the first stake down and say this. The permanence of your salvation, if it's true salvation, excuse me, if you have true faith, it's permanent. Let's just say it that way. Your salvation is permanent if it's true faith. But now we've got to ask the question, question number two. Well, what is this faith? What is this saving faith? Give me a little bit more on what is the definition? What does it look like? See, what's the difference? This is in your outline. What is the difference between human and supernatural faith? Because I'm telling you that saving faith can't fail. In fact, the key verse on this is Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith. That's how you're saved. Through faith. Faith is the conduit that brings the saving grace of God through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross to you. It's saving faith. That's the conduit. A person has to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The person has to receive Christ. The person has to have faith in Christ. So Ephesians says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. In other words, this faith is not of yourself. It's not just talking about salvation in that verse. He's saying the faith itself is not of yourself. The faith itself is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's not just salvation. He's talking about the faith itself because faith is what gives, is the conduit that brings salvation to you. The faith itself is a gift from God. You see that? It's not of yourselves. So now we've got to ask, well, what's the difference between human faith and supernatural faith? We've got to... Because there's a lot of human... By the way, you all have human faith, right? I mean, human faith is experiential faith. When you walked in today, some of you got a drink in that drinking fountain. And you had human faith. See, you didn't, you didn't expect to die from uh, some um, uh, parasite in that water, right? 
So you went to the drinking fountain and you had faith and you drank from it. And then you came and you sat down in that chair and because you haven't seen anybody crush a chair recently, you just figure that's going to support you and that's human faith, right? And if you get sick, you're going to go to the hospital and you're going to say, you know, I'm okay with strong memorial because I believe they're good and you're going to have, you know, and, and, and you're going to have faith in the fact of the doctors, right? We all have human faith. It's experiential. Because, we, because of this, because of experience, it tells us it's okay. Now, if you go to Jamaica on a missions trip and you get sick and all of a sudden you have to end up in a Jamaican hospital, you may not have that faith in the hospital any longer because the Jamaican hospital is not like strong, right? Our human faith, experiential human faith, is based off of experience. And that type of faith can easily die. Because again... The difference between drinking water at Alpha Elm and Bible Church and when I had to determine if I would be willing to drink any water in India. Hmm, I didn't have experience. I didn't want to do that. Give me a bottle of water. Make sure that the bottle is capped too, by the way. You know, because they literally what they would do is they'd fill up the bottle. They would take an empty bottle, fill it up with tap water out of their tap and then just, no, no, make sure that the seal isn't broken. That's human faith. And we do have, but that's not, that is not supernatural faith. I hear people like compare, they're not, no, no, supernatural faith is that you have, you have to have trust at a supernatural level without ever having experienced, having experience with God, right? In other words, you didn't see Christ. You only read in his word that you are a sinner condemned before a holy God and that you need to put your faith and trust in him. But none of that is something that you have experienced. That's in the supernatural, that's a spiritual realm. So that's not something that you can generate on your own. And on top of that, when you came to Christ, Ephesians, just a few verses earlier, said that you were what? Spiritually dead. So now you're spiritually dead, and you're called upon to put your faith and trust in one whom you've never seen, and all these spiritual realities of the fact that you're a sinner in need and help of a, a Savior in Christ is the one. Do you see what I'm saying? That's, a super, that's, not, that's not human faith there. That's supernatural. So if that happens in a, Christ, a person's life, that's supernatural. Given to you, what? By God. And what, what the Christian life is all about is once you receive Christ, I, I believe a good part of it is actually proving who you really are because... Um, the scripture is very clear, and Jesus spoke of this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What? There's going to be a lot of false faith. There's going to be a lot of false deception out there. Remember last week we looked at Matthew chapter 7. Many on that day will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, have we not? And all these people that thought they were true Christians, he said, I never knew you. So we need to make sure that our faith is the real thing. And if it's the real thing, it will never fail. Now, how does he prove that? Because we're, we're finite. He's infinite. God knows. But how do, how do we? He puts us through trials. And it's through the trials of life it will become obvious whether you are walking and truly have faith and life through God or not. Think of Job. He's one of the classic, right? Satan comes to God and says, you know, you know, Job worships you and serves you because of the blessings that you give him. That's basically Satan's message to God. You know, he, you bless the guy. That's why, he, that's why he's walking with you. But how about this? How about if you take away his family and his crops and his animals and everything that he counts dear? What if you take everything away? 
He will hate you. He will reject you. By the way, do you see people doing that at times? person who says they're a Christian, they go through a hard time, and all of a sudden, God's out the window, never can return. See, this is the test of Job. See, in other words, you've blessed him. That's why he trusts you. That's why he worships you. If you take all that stuff away, he's not going to trust you. He's going to stop believing. And to prove him wrong, God said you can have him, but you can't have his life. But By the way, that would have been pointless. You can put him through everything. And what happened? Lost his crops, lost his oxen, lost his camels, you know, a lot of his servants, finally lost his children. All he's left with is a bitter wife that basically says, curse God and die. You know what I mean? Like, take her too if you're going to take everything else, you know. But didn't. He's left destitute, scratching his boils with a broken piece of pottery. And this is what he says in Job 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now, what, what is the book of Job all about? True faith. Because his faith wasn't in what he has, his faith was in God. Even if he slays me, I will still trust in him. He who endures to the end will be saved. That's, what, that's Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about. Listen, there's going to be disasters and trials and all kinds of hurts and sufferings in this world. You're a Christian. You say you're a Christian. I'm putting you right in the midst, but just understand this. If you are a true Christian, your faith will not fail. Because your faith is not something that is generated in you. It's something given to you by me. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. They estimate over the last 2,000 years, I've told you statistics, but this is one of the most phenomenal, that 70 million Christians have been killed for the name of Christ. 70 million. And that's, just, that's not even talking about those who have suffered and tortured and not killed. Okay? No. It, we're here. All right? But true faith will not fail. Now, some do fail. 1 John 2.19 says this, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they no doubt would have remained with us. But they went out to basically prove that they were not of us. In other words, oh, there's going to be people, many times people, who walk with you for a number of years even, and praise Jesus, and and get involved in ministry, maybe even leaders in the church, and all of a sudden they they went out from, by the way, when they said they went out from us, it doesn't mean they went to Hillside Baptist Church, okay? It just means that they they left the faith, okay? I mean, let's get real. But the point is, (laughs) I love Hillside, I can use them as an example. But the point is, is this, if they leave the faith, they never really of us. Okay? Now, this gets us to Luke 21. Now, and again, I'm skipping around, but Luke 21, he, uh, he, uh, Luke adds a piece. He says, not, yet not a hair of your head will perish. That's what Jesus said. Not, not even a hair of your head will perish. But wait, Jesus, just a few verses earlier in that same passage, just like in Mark 13, you told us that you... That, the brother will betray brother even to death. The father to a son to death. How, what do you mean that even a, a hair on your head won't perish? Well, again, it's metaphoric. Because he's not talking about physical here. He's talking about spiritual. That, that was a very common uh, proverb in the Old Testament. You find it in 1 Samuel 14, 2 Samuel 14, 1 Kings 1. You see it in Acts 27, New Testament. You see it in the Old and New Testament, not a hair of your head will perish. What do you mean? In other words, you are protected. 
Here, Jesus is talking physically. Now, some people have taken that passage, that one, not in the passage, that, that sentence, and says this. No, no, he's talking about if you're a true Christian, you won't, you won't have to suffer. In fact, what Jesus and God wants for you is health and wealth. That's not what he's saying. Because in Mark 13, Luke 21, Matthew 24, he sequentially says this. There's a lot of problems in this world. You're going to suffer. Some of you will even die, but not a hair of your head will, be, will perish. You are protected. But who are you protected by? Not from, by. God. God. See, the work that has begun in our lives, we sometimes think it's us. You know, like I'm walking down the street all of a sudden one day, uh, July 21st, 1975, I was at a Bethany Baptist camp and I heard the gospel and I got smart and I received Jesus. No, that's not the scripture. What the scripture says is, John got smart, wise, why? Because I called him and I put in him understanding and I brought him to life so that he could understand the gospel. And on July 25th, 1975, he heard the gospel and received my son because it's my work, not his. See, the work of salvation is all of God. Now we are called to endure and you know that you are truly saved if you do. But the work itself, the faith, the work of salvation on the cross and the faith to believe is all of God. It is all of God. I'll tell you what, if there's anything that brings me to saying, thank you, Jesus, it's that. Because if I got smart one day and I just received Jesus, well, thank you, Lord, but you know. No, no, no. It's all of Him. Jo- uh, Jonah chapter 2 says, salvation is of the Lord. It's all of the Lord. So this is physical. Not one hair, not a hair of your head will perish. The point is this. True, authentic, God-given faith will endure because the Holy Spirit provides the strength and the grace. I mean, that's, we talk about the Spirit and he, you know, he, he brings us to life and He gives us spiritual gifts. You know what the, the main work of the Spirit for a believer is? To keep you saved. <laughs> because none of us would... None of us would stay saved if it wasn't for the Spirit of God in us, right? If it was left up to myself, I'd lose my salvation. I would. And by the way, I would lose it on the highway to hell, right? I mean, I would lose it in a big way. There are times in my life I would just like... Well, if it's because of sin, I'm done. But because of God's Spirit in my life, He gives me... And when, when I get on that pathway, what does He do? He, he knocks... And if I don't hear, he knocks. And if I don't hear, sometimes he even breaks my leg. Oh, you laugh. It happened to me. There was an issue in my life when I was playing baseball, and I didn't play baseball much, sliding into third, and three, three bones in my ankle were broken in my senior year. And the, it wasn't anything to do with baseball. It had to do with sin in my life, and I wasn't listening. Because God loves us, right? See, sometimes we think, oh, these trials... Well, sometimes trials come because of Job. He was a blameless and righteous man. But sometimes trials come because you're sinning. <laughs> you just got to pay attention, right? Because God started this work and He's going to finish it if you're one of His children. All right, let's end number three. And this is going to have to be quick. So, is the permanent of our, permanence of our salvation biblical? Yes. What, is biblical, what does faith look like? That saving faith? It's not human faith. It's supernatural faith. It's a gift from God. And you can see this in other passages. I just chose one. Number three. Number three. As we're walking this earth, what is the most precious 
thing that I have? What's the most precious thing that I have? And I was thinking about some illustrations of this. Is it this right here? My wedding band. Is the most precious thing I have my wife? Well, before you, she is very precious, but she's not the most precious. She isn't. How about this? For some of us, this is the most precious thing, money. Because it can buy us prestige and power and security and peace. But hopefully that's not your most precious. How about this? Do you have a picture, babe? Okay, I, I sent her a picture, but I didn't send it proper. So. But this is a picture of my kids. Can you see it? Pride and joy. My wife, seven kids, and by the fact that this little guy is only about one years old, which is Colton, and he's now almost 16, that means it's 15 years old. Is my family the most precious? No. No. No, my family's precious, my wife is precious, well, money is just a tool. What is most precious? Most precious is this, that I would be confident and assured of the fact that I am truly a believer that has been forgiven and that when I die, I will be in heaven. Would you agree with that? Okay, let's end with this last thing. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Just You can turn there. Because this starts to answer the question of why, God, do you give me trials? You love me. You gave me eternal life. You gave me supernatural faith. Why is it that we have to have these trials? And there are a lot of purposes for trials. This is just one of them. But I want to show it to you. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3. Blessed, blessed, blessed by the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, all right, we're blessed, and we were talking about that in ABF. Uh, by the way, if you're not in ABF upstairs with Ken, I would encourage you to be in downstairs uh, with myself. We're, we're talking about Psalms chapter 1, the blessed life. But blessed by, by the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, all glory for salvation goes to Him, who according to His abundant mercy, His mercy, not my works, okay? In other words, it's His abundant mercy. We were dead in our trespasses. We were blind. It's not our works. It's His mercy. Has begotten us again to a living hope. In other words, we've been begotten. We've been regenerated. We've been born again because of His mercy. Do you see the picture? Bless God. Because of His mercy, He brought us to life. To what? A living hope. That's eternal life right there. Hope that cannot die. Not just hope here, the hope that we have eternal life. So this is, God, you, have, you, are, you are blessed. We are praising your name because of your mercy for rescuing us, giving us a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, because it's through the resurrection we know that what Christ did on the cross was accepted by the Father. But then he says this, verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, that means can't perish, our inheritance by the Father who has shown us mercy, given us a living hope through the Son, has given us an inheritance that can't perish, is undefiled, that's pure, and that does not fade away, reserved. That word is, means kept or guarded. It's reserved. You know this, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will make it to heaven and there is an inheritance for you there and it's being guarded. <laughs> in other words, God has set it aside and it's for you, Dale, Who 
who are... Oh, verse 5. Okay, this goes back to our first question. Is salvation permanent? Who are kept by the power of God. That's the source of our protection. That's the source of our security. That's why we know we're going to get an inheritance. Because it's kept. Not just the inheritance. We are kept so we can get the inheritance. Kept by the power of God. Through faith. And again, that's not human faith. That's supernatural faith. That's the means. That's the conduit. So we're kept by the power. That's the source. Through faith, that's the means of our salvation. The means of our protection. For salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. See, we're protected by the power of God through faith. It is God gave us a faith that will not fail and He's protecting us along this path as we walk. Now, but there's going to be a problem. See, this faith is empowered by God. And just like Job went through the trial, now we're going to go through some trials. Look at verse 6. In this you grace, greatly rejoice. In what? what? What do we greatly rejoice in? Well, he just named some things. God, he's merciful. He, he, um, he, he has saved us to a living hope. He's given us an, uh, uh, an inheritance. He, is, he has empowered us through faith. He has empowered us. But wait, what else? Now, though, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Wait a second. We also can rejoice even in our trials. Now, there's a reason. And, and by the way, that word trials, the exact same word as James when it says, you know, count all joy, when my, my brother, when you fall into various trials. The word is pokakos. We get a word polkadot. I love that. Because your trials are different than mine. They're polkadot trials. Some of you have red trials, and some have triangle blue trials, and some of you have brown uh, uh, rectangles trials. And some of your trials are this big, and some of your trials are this big, but they're all polka dot. They're all different types, all different varieties, all different intensities, but we go through trials. But see, we can rejoice in our trials, what? That, now, this is why, verse 7. See, he, he's saying we can rejoice. We know that the God who is, is making us, uh, allowing us and making us go through this trial has empowered us through faith, and it's his faith, it's supernatural faith. But, no, but look at verse 7. In order that, this is why we go through the trial, in order that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold than, that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We go through the trials because as Job went through the trials, and at the end, what would you have said of Job's faith? It is what? The real thing. Though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. And what does God do to each one of you? You say you're a Christian. The truth is this, if your faith is true, it's my faith. It's my faith that's empowering it. I started the work, I'm going to finish the work, and I'm going to have you go through trials. Why? Because I want you to know that what you have is the real thing. And if you don't go through the trials, if your life is just easy all the time, you don't know. So you get to get tested. That word tested there is the word we use for coinage. They used to use for coinage. They would, I've told you many times because it appears a lot of times in the New Testament. It's where they would take a coin and make sure, first of all, is it gold and is it, a, is it truly a quarter ounce? Because they would shave off a little bit of gold and then try to pass it off as a quarter ounce. And it was tested, the dacamas, the people that would literally have scales say, nope, that's a right, yep, that's a quarter ounce. Oh, whoop, 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 that's not a quarter ounce. They've shaved it. And it, and it failed the test. 
And God says, listen, I'm putting you each through a test, and it's through the trials of life. What? To prove, quote, the genuineness of your faith. That's what it's for. To prove the genuineness of your faith. See, it's the difficulties, the trials, it's the troubles that come into our life. And the deceptions and the disasters and the persecution that tests our faith and it proves that it's the real thing if indeed it is. And along the way, what are you going to find? And you're going to find this now as times get harder and harder. There's going to be people who say they're Christians, fall away. I don't want Jesus anymore. I I didn't come to Jesus for that reason. I came to Him because He was going to give me the goodies. So you're going to be tested. The only way that you know that is the real thing is by being tested. And did you survive the, the, the disaster? Did you survive the disaster? Did you, do, uh, <laughs> did you survive the, the test of cancer? Did you survive the test of being hurt by this world? Did you survive the test of when your dear friend ditched you? Did you survive that financial disaster? Did you, did you survive the test of that family relationship that you poured your heart and soul into and now they're trying to hurt you? Did you survive the test of what you thought your life was going to be like and now it's not going to be? And you know it's never going to be like that. The hope that you had is not going to be there. Are you able to say like Job, though you, though you slay me, yet I'll trust in you? See, do you see where the... Do you see what... This is great. Because see, we're, we're exiting out of the... Coming up to the tribulation. And, and, and I would say like the disciples, you know, like give me some hope. And what does he say? Those who endure to the end will be saved. Why? Because it's those who endure to the end are the ones that were truly given faith by me. You're going to have a lot of people in Matthew 7 and Mark says many, many will fall away. Many will not walk with me any longer. Why? Because they had superficial human faith. They just thought he'd give us the goodies. But those who had true faith, those who are true children, are kept by the power of God and his children. This is, what's a hard, this is the hard truth right here. And he's going to put his children through some very, very difficult trials because in the end... He's going to, this is what happens. Just like Job. I mean, think about Job. Don't we do this to Job? Man, look at that man. Lost his crops, his, his animals, his children, and he stayed true to God. Don't you say that? Isn't that how you respond to Job? That's what he wants to do to each one of us. Each one of us. He wants to say, look at that. Look at that. I took him from death. I took him from blindness. I, look at this. I, I gave him the power, I mean, the faith to believe, and I empowered him along the way. And look at, oh, he stumbled. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, Christians are not perfect. They're gonna, they're, we're going to stumble, right? Sometimes we get off the path way over here. Sometimes it's way off the path. But look at, my spirit brought him back, and he endured. And when it's all said and done, and we finally get to heaven, you know what we are? Trophy of grace. Trophy of grace. And, he, and you know what? It's not going to be like this. And look at what, how I ran. It's all going to be pointed back to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And he's going to say, and we're going to say, thank you, Jesus. Praise and honor and glory. Just what that verse said that we were just reading. For you. Because you were the one that endured with me. And that's why I was able to endure. Amen?